It's on right now. All right. Hello, hello, hello. This is another episode of the Mental Threads Podcast, episode 130. I'm here with my guest, VI, if you'd like to say something. Yo, how y'all doing today? This is your boy, VI, um, also known as Caso Banks, hailing from Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina, now residing in Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a lot of people pouring into Charlotte. And uh, Wilmington is like uh, closer to the west or the east, or is it like near the beach? Or where is that? Oh, that's, that's the east coast, man. It's, it's three hours east of Charlotte, right there by Wrightsville Beach, Carolina Beach. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically a, a beach town in a way, but I mean, it's still gritty when it gets gritty. Okay, still gritty. I can't imagine a beach town being like gritty and everything of that nature. I think unless it's maybe like somewhere in Florida or stuff of that nature. Yeah, it's a, it's a stigma behind it. Honestly, a lot of folks when you tell them you're from Wilmington, they automatically assume that that you know you grew up in a in a big house on the water and you spent your weekends jet skiing or or you know going for swims in the, in the ocean and whatnot. But uh, nah, Wilmington is is very concrete in certain spots. Okay, cool. Because when I think about the term, I think about Wilmington popping in my mind. I'm be thinking about like old folks like retiring or something like that. They would go to retire in Wilmington. Is that any of that true, or is that just a weird assumption? Absolutely not. No, that is that is a that is an accurate assumption. Um, because Wilmington is a retirement community. You know the the the, the neighborhoods that are there, the homes that are there, are designed for folks who made all their money up north or down south and wanted to find a nice spot to move to. The thing is, though, is that Wilmington is actually separated from the beach towns in a way. So the folks who are wealthy that are there, they typically live on the east side of Wilmington. Mm-hmm. But, well, I don't want to say the east side because the east side is completely different, but they live closer east of Wilmington towards the beach. So the, the biggest neighborhoods where all the retirement folks mm-hmm. go are about five minutes from the beach. Oh, okay. Whereas where I'm from is about 10 to 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, just how like how it is in Charlotte where it's like, okay, like I stay on east side Charlotte and everything. And it's just like, you know, that south side Charlotte's kind of rich. Like if you go to the Valentine area and then it's just like, then we got west side Charlotte, which is kind of hood and everything. And north side Charlotte was just hood also, but with the university there too. Yep. It's just like, you know, just different sides. It goes for different sides of wealth and everything. To that nature kind of yeah. Extremely accurate. Wilmington, uh, north side, is uh is gritty the east wilmington extremely gritty south wilmington gritty as well i mean um there really isn't what you would consider a west side of wilmington but uh i would i would say like the north the east and the south are definitely some 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 territorial areas for sure so there's nothing on west side of wilmington or is it just like a bunch of stores or something like that like i mean it's more or less just you know businesses and 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 things of that sort but there's nobody you'll never meet some somebody from wilmington that says i'm from the west side of wilmington okay all right then all right that's i don't want to say that's strange that's uncommon i would i'd be thinking like every side just has a side or whatnot you know what i'm saying like you got center north side or central north side south side west side east side you know what i'm saying and then the, every side is just it re- reflects some side of the, or there's not so much middle class anymore is there like there's a little bit of middle class but it's kind of middle class close to like the gritty side well the, the thing about wilmington unfortunately is like the middle class doesn't exist how it once did i mean there's a lot of folks in wilmington who are considered to be middle class but unfortunately even if you're you know black and you're middle class in wilmington chances are you're living in a in a, in a part of town that most folks don't want to live in 
So that's the thing about Wilmington. I was fortunate. Um, I lived on kind of like the outskirts of town at first, and then I bounced around. I lived on the north side for a while, and I also lived on the east side for a while. So, I mean, I got my taste of everything. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Cool. And you pretty much decided to move out of your hometown when you were like 28, 29, like? Yeah, I was 28. Um, just was trying to, you know, going through some life changes. Um, I had to relocate back to my mother's house for a little bit, pick myself back up. And I told mom, I said, you know, I, I want to go to Charlotte. You know, I want to go to Charlotte. I want to um, experience something new in life. I started looking for jobs here in January, and I was fortunate to land something in March, and I moved up here a week later. Okay, well, that's good. And then you just moved into an apartment and everything? Yep, got my own spot, nice little apartment. It's just me. I make music and play video games and read and do homework. Okay, that's cool, because I know you say you're going to go into law school because you had a relative as a lawyer, correct? That's right, that's right. Uh, my closest my closest relative, uh, my cousin, He's up here. He's an attorney. So I went back to college at 25 and um, I got my two year degree at 27, took some time off with all the life changes going on. And now I'm a junior working on my bachelor's. So and then law school after that. Okay, that's cool, man. You know, I got my first degree, uh, my bachelor's degree when I was uh, 23 and everything. So it's just like, you know, I know people usually say, okay, you got to be 22 or 21 or whatever. You know, there's no time. Just no like time. you just got to get it done whenever you can. You know, I had my ups and downs from community college and high school to like getting to where I am at right now and everything. I'm trying to go back to grad school. Gladly, I'm part of this program that might pay for my grad school. So I'm very, awesome. very, it's very much a layup with that one. So it's just, it's really just a matter of just, it's all in God's hands at this point. Always. Always in God's hands. Um, but it's like uh, back to your transition from uh, Wilmington to Charlotte. I know like when it comes to, like getting an apartment and everything, do you have to pretty much put a down payment first and they just run your credit for it and then you just pay later? So they just ran my credit. And then um, when it came back that I was good, um, there's like a deposit amount, which is basically a set a set amount of, you know, 400, 500 bucks plus um, your prorated rent for the rest of the month. So I had to drop that. Uh, at the time, I had a huge truck. I, uh, I rented a U-Haul, packed everything up, drove, you know, used my truck to tow it up here, unloaded everything in one night by myself, turned the U-Haul in, and then I went back home the next week and traded the truck in because gas was too high. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, uh, but no, nah, like the apartment, the apartment hunt wasn't too hard. Um, I looked at a couple different spots, just tried to find something that was close to where I was working and that was rather affordable, which we all know was difficult in today's day and age. But rent in Wilmington is equivalent to rent in Charlotte mm-hmm. with lower paying jobs. So uh, for me to move here and and look at the rent costs, it really didn't mean too much because I knew I'd make more money here anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, you know, it was a, it was an easy hunt. It was easy to move in and it's been smooth selling ever since. Okay, I always wondered everything because I'd be thinking about like maybe looking for apartments out in uh, the DMV area because that's how I'm trying to relocate. Like I said, I want to go to grad school. My grad school choice I want to go is Howard University. Um, plus, my father was thinking about hooking me up with somebody, some Nigerian guy that could hook me up with like a room out there. But, you know, this year it's been so crazy for me and hectic. So I had to stay in Charlotte a lot longer than I needed to and stuff of that nature. My credit score is pretty fair right now. It could get better. I just got to pay off some debts and maybe like elevate a little bit more. And it's just like, you know, before I even 
move to DC and everything. I got to get like certain furniture and everything I want to bring in. You know, something about like maybe like as soon as I get like one by one, maybe I can get a piece of furniture every month and then till uh, the fall of 2023. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Just let it just kind of sit in the storage facility for a little bit until I actually move, move and everything. You know, it's just going to be like a step process. But that's like my plans. Am I overthinking it or is it just like, well, it's not that simple? You're not overthinking it at all. You know, um, at one point in time, I was actually a homeowner. And um, one thing that my my, uh, real estate agent told me is folks will buy a house. And then when they move into it, they don't have money to get furniture. She said, you never want to be house poor. That's what she considers that having a house with nothing in it. So, you know, um, do it, do it that way. I mean, it's always good to piece things together. That's how I piece together all of my music equipment. It wasn't just a quick transaction. It was more or less building it over a, the course of some years. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? If you can get some little itty bitty form furniture like at Walmart and everything and then mm-hmm. get some stuff at Big Loss or, you know, sometimes Amazon might have something that you can kind of just put about and everything. That's cool, too. And I always have them saved up like uh, stuff of that nature because it's like, you know, the coffee tables, the dining tables and stuff of that nature. So it's just it's just really just it's really just a matter of just me sticking with my job and then trying to find a part time situation, which I but the part time situation I got to put on hold because now I'm doing this whole program situation that's giving me no time to do any of that so it's just like now i just have to just thug it out with just one job and everything and every which is crazy like i was just like you finally get a job but even then even that one job isn't like everything you know what i'm saying it takes so much time so much time man yeah so much and i just want to ask what exactly do you do currently so i'm actually working i work for apple okay yeah i work for apple i do that full time um, I have another part-time gig with another company, just an online remote job um, that kind of specializes in uh, monitoring events and making sure they go good, certain webinars and whatnot. And then um, I'm also a, a part-time student. Part-time student. Mm-hmm. And what, where do you go to school? You go to CPCC or UNCC? So I'm actually at UNCW online. Oh, online. Yeah. I stuck there because I was, uh, when I when I got my two-year degree, um, I transferred into UNCW, and I just kind of wanted to stick there. Okay. Yeah. And it's basically like a PWI, HBCU, what's up? Nah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, cool. it's just a, a regular university. Nothing special about UNCW. I hate to say that, you know, sorry, Seahawks, but uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beach town school. So, I mean, you got to, you know, a lot of people come there from other places, um, you know, Midwest, up north, down south. A lot of students that come there are there. And it's a really small um, amount of it's an extremely small amount of black students at UNCW. Uh, Very small. I would say if there were a thousand students, there might be a hundred of them black. If. Yeah, I couldn't do that, to be honest. I don't know. I, I went to an HBCU, man. I'm used to just being around folk that look like me. I'm not saying, like, it's an issue or everything, but just, like, it was just such a plus for me when I went to UN, when I went to North Carolina Central University. Yeah. And it, was just, it would just be such a culture shock if I had to, like, go and, like, I was, like, the minority again because I just didn't work out for me for well, the past see, couple of years. I've always been the minority. So coming to Charlotte was actually a culture shock for me in general yeah. because in Wilmington, I mean, we, you know, if, if you're black, you're a minority. So... Um, going to school there, which I was fortunate because I've always been online at UNCW. I, I physically went to school at Cape Fear Community College back home. And while there, I didn't seem as much, I didn't feel like I was as much as a minority, but I definitely was a minority. But, you know, um, I do prefer being in the company of, of, of my folks at time and I enjoy it. You know what I mean? But um, 
with all that being said, uh, moving to Charlotte was a culture shock for me because, you know, not often do I walk in a restaurant and 50 percent of people in there are black. You know, when you back home in Wilmington, my cousin who lives up here, he came to visit me before I moved up. And um, we walked in a restaurant and we were the only two black people in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that happens all the time. Uh-huh. So that's that's kind of how Wilmington is not trying to talk bad on it or anything. But culturally, um, there's not there's not a, a huge a lot of diversity, not a lot of diversity, not at all. Uh, it's more it's more homogeneous. Was it homogeneous in regards to white folk and everything? Well, you know, basically, but you know, Wilmington at one point in the late eighteen hundreds was um, majority black, mm-hmm. and it's uh, the only coup to ever successfully occur in the United States of America. So there was a black mayor. There were black businesses. The black population was higher than the white white population in Wilmington, and they overthrew the government in 1898. And uh, my family actually was in Wilmington. You know, my ancestors were living there when that happened, and uh, we've been there for a long time. But um, yeah, that that occurred, and thus set the motion of Wilmington becoming a predominantly white city. Okay, um, I feel like another city that's actually a, that's predominantly uh, black here in North Carolina is Durham, like with the place I went to school at and everything, you know, ain't nothing. There's a whole lot of black businesses over there. And uh, it's like it was pretty much a college city. So because like North Carolina Central University, plus we're kind of in the hood also, mm-hmm. which honestly, I prefer. I mean, I don't know. At first, it's just I thought, oh, the, I don't know why that's a little bit strange. You wouldn't expect like a university to be like smack dab in the hood, but that's pretty much all HBCUs and everything. And it's just like it just became part of life, you know, just kind of it was kind of part of home in a for way, sure. you know, for sure. in that sense. So it's just like, you know, I plan to relocate to Durham one day. Like if I, you know, if I stay in DMV area for a while, get all my degrees and everything, I want to move back to North Carolina. The first place I would consider is staying in Durham and stuff of that nature. And is there any other place you think about moving out to outside of like, you know, Charlotte or Wilmington? Yeah. So, um, you know, once, uh, well, I don't know. We all got a road to walk and when opportunities come up, I try to take them. Mm-hmm. I try to be kind of spontaneous in that. But. You know, I've been thinking about other cities, you know, like uh, maybe Denver, um, you know, kind of going out west or I, I prefer out west living. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I, I, I do enjoy my time in New York and another in the northern cities and whatnot. But I find that if I can get to a point in life where money is not an issue or well, it's not an issue, but where money is in an abundance, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I would say I like to move out west somewhere, maybe L.A. or San Fran or Denver or maybe even somewhere in Texas. Oh, yeah. Texas is popping a whole lot now. A lot of people said they want to move to Texas because they got big houses down there and they do a whole lot of other things, especially Houston. I think Houston is a main spot. I definitely want to go check out Houston maybe for Liberian Independence Day. I think they're having a, a lot of party situation going on there. So, like, you know, it'd be the first Liberian party I would go like outside of town for. for sure. And I definitely want to knock that off the bucket list and everything. Um, so it's like, um, uh, VI and everything. What led you to becoming VI? You know, I know you spoke about like growing up in like Wilmington, but so let's go into detail uh, on to like, you know, what was your upbringing like and everything? You were pretty much like a lower class, middle class, high class, or was it just like, was it like one class that just turns into another class? You know, were there some struggles that led you on that way? Were there some situations where you had to face discrimination where you had to just, you know, vent out yourself through uh, poetry or whatever? What What's the origin of VI? So it's, it's a, it's quite a story. So um, what led me to become VI was I was always the kid in the neighborhood who was like 
I guess wise beyond his years. So I always hung around all my all my boys. They want to do stupid stuff, and I'd be the main one who was like, "Hey, like y'all, we shouldn't do that, or we might get in trouble." So I stayed with my grandparents. Um, it was me, my mom, and my sister, and we stayed with my grandparents until I was about eleven. Mm-hmm. Then my mom went out on her own. Um, so I would say that my mom did the best she could. My, my mom was hardworking. My mom is hardworking, excuse me. And um, to this day, she she does what she needs to do to get things done. But, um, you know, I would say we were lower class. We were definitely lower class. We weren't middle class. I, I was had a single mother who, who did what she could. Um, didn't really get a lot of government assistance, even though she was a single mom doing what she could. But my mother never, she never really looked for it. You know, she just... She managed to stretch her money the best best way possible. So, but anyway, I, I really fell in love with reading as a kid. I like to read a lot, and uh, which was strange for me coming from where I come from to be the kid who wanted to read. But then again, I was the kid who many would say was wise beyond his years. So, I remember it was eighth grade. I was on the bleachers, mm-hmm. chilling with one of my homeboys, dude named Robert. And, um, you know, I used to get teased and bullied and all this stuff in school because I, I always had common sense. I sense yeah. So I ended up getting into this fight with this one dude, man. And, and then it became, oh, man, Hayden quiet. He's nice, but he can he can he can fight, you know, and you got to let him know. So then one day I'm on the bleachers and my homeboy was just like, you know, making a beat on the bleachers and then I started rapping off the top of my head had never really wrote a rap before and he looked at me and was like yo you probably could actually rap like <laughs> you sound like you can actually rap and I was like man I don't I don't know about all that then I went home and started writing and I was like man this actually isn't bad so the ninth grade comes around and I got sent to alternative high school because I had gotten into the fight in, in eighth grade and all these other things and you know, I was supposed to go to early college, okay. and then, but my principal, principal didn't really care for me. <laughs> uh-huh. So it ultimately came down to her decision. She said, well, either I can send him to early college or I can send him to Lakeside. So I went to Lakeside for ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, while at Lakeside, I started furthering my love for rapping. So I was always mad shy about it. But then it got to a point where I started rapping and everybody was like, yo, man, you kind of vicious. And I was mm-hmm. like, word. So. My first rap name was Young Vicious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kept rapping in ninth grade, started recording, had had some falling outs with some other folks who were doing music. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we had beef or whatever, but that's that's in the past. Um, Kept rapping, got into a lot of trouble in ninth grade. So then that's where my cousin Charles comes into play. So he's the he's an attorney up here. So Charles comes into play. I basically was like in trouble. And one day I looked at my mom after I got suspended from school for 10 days and I asked her, could I go hang out with him? And my mom's just like, you know what? I think that's the best idea you've had in a long time. So the journey to, to VI begins because I keep rapping, keep rapping, keep getting better, keep getting better. So then I was like, man, Young Vicious, like, that sounds that sounds kind of crazy. You know, that, that name is, eh. So, but I kept going by it. And then one day, my mentor, who, who kind of was leading me on the way to rapping, his name is Ramon. Ramon said to me, uh, AOVI. I was like, yo, what's up? He was like, what's going on? How you been, man? And then I kind of thought about it, like, VI, like, that sounds dope. But what could it stand for? Like, man, I'm wise beyond my years. I'm pretty versatile on the mic. So I became the versatile intellectual mm-hmm. VI. So, you know, cause I can rap on anything. I can rap about anything. I've, I've been in it all. I've been in the trenches. I've been through a lot of stuff. 
And it'd be like kind of like a spoof off uh, ET and I extraterrestrial. You're a versatile intellectual. Or yeah. yeah, yeah, essentially. You know what I mean? So then comes the the era of finding the flow and finding out, you know, who I really am. So my uh, my cousin he ended up going to UNC Chapel Hill, and he met J Cole. Oh, so he met J Cole in 2009. So no one knew who he was. So he hits me up and was like, yo, you got to check out this mixtape. It's called The Warm Up. And this is like October 09. And I'm like, who's it by? He said, oh, this dude from North Carolina's name is J. Cole. And I was like, what? Like, I don't want to hear nothing from nobody in North Carolina. Every time I hear this trash, I, I was very negative about it. But I listened to The Warm Up that night. And it was so good that I wrote 12 verses that night. Just I couldn't stop writing. I was so inspired. And then that led me into learning about Nas and learning about cannabis and learning about all these other MCs that paved the way for J. Cole to become who he was. Then I started paying more attention to the producers in the game and, you know, who were these guys crafting these hip hop instrumentals that all these rappers had blessed over the years. So that's essentially that that whole chunk is like the true beginning of me as an MC. Mm-hmm. And that's like over the span of eighth grade to about 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I started kind of finding myself, you know. So, yeah, yeah, that's, um, you know, I had some other stuff happen after that, after all that. Like when I was 18, my dad passed. Um, mm-hmm. So that was rough. He was killed in a police shooting. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's all right. Was it like a George Floyd situation or was he like doing something too much and then the police just got him? It was domestic, man. It, the whole altercation between him and his stepson, they they had knives at each other, fussing. Cops bust in. They see my dad. They don't see my stepbrother had a knife, but they see my dad had a pocket knife in his hand. They told him to drop it. He didn't even know who was in his house. Turned around. They shot him three times. They didn't even give him a chance to draw the... It's a knife. They didn't, no, they didn't give him a chance. Um, that's bullshit, man. It is, it is bullshit. Y'all trying to sue? Y'all think y'all can sue for shit like so that? So that's even a stickier situation, man. Like, uh, we never really got... I never really got to know my stepmom. Mm-hmm. Um, a matter of fact, like, I think the most... I don't even remember what she looks like. I just know her name. Mm-hmm. And after all that happened, man, like, I tried to, I tried to whoop her son's ass. I tried to and they pulled me off of him before I could get to him and um, basically she ended up suing I think she was awarded $300,000 wrongful death lawsuit wrongful death she was awarded because that was her husband Okay, well, you were his son, though. You had to get something. Nah. Uh, father is a very important part of a young man's life, especially a black kid, bro. Like, you know, it's, yeah, even my dad was absent for a couple of years because, you know, the domestic issue between my mom. So he couldn't even be like, I don't say around us or anything. It was just a whole lot of stuff going on. Like, he lost his job and everything. It was just a lot, you know, like, dude, like when the black family's family like, breaks down, bro, that breaks down. It does. It, it does. does. Now, I didn't get anything, you know, um, we, we didn't have a relationship for her to feel compelled to include me in that lawsuit. I didn't pursue it. I was more or less just kind of depressed, man. I was in a shock state and I didn't really get back to being myself until I was about 24. Dang. So, so like from 18 to feeling like yourself at 24. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, man, like six I, years. I, I feel that very, very heavy, you know, because I got a condition I, that sprouted up when I was 18 and everything. I'm still dealing with that at 24. I'm still trying to find the right care. I think the next one treatment is going to be like about close to $4,000 and everything. Shit took years off my life. I, I had to miss out on parties. I had to miss out on so much of anything. You know, it was such, it's so depressing. But I just, I don't let it defeat me or anything. I still try to keep it pushing. I still got to keep in mind that, you know, things happen for a reason and everything in regards. It's just, it's God's plan regardless. And you can't really fight God's plan. You just kind of got to roll along with it and just do the best that you can and just keep in faith, you know? Like, I ain't no heavy Christian person where I'm just checking Bibles at people or nothing. No, but it's no, just like, no. I do really do believe that it, with every adversity, it's just God trying to prepare you for the blessings that are coming. So that's just my stance on it. No, no, you're right, man. Like, I grew up in church and I'm not a super, uh, I'm not a, a, a Bible thumper. I'm not throwing the Bible at anybody either. But at the end of the day, I mean, there is an almighty being that, that looks out and has created all of us. So, I mean, we have to, we have to understand that, that like fate is fate. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a geek too. So like, I just watched the star Wars movie the other day and I, so, you know, when you go back and revisit movies. Yeah, which one did you watch? So, I actually watched The Phantom Menace again. Oh, yeah, I fuck with The Phantom Menace. Yeah, that was the first one I ever saw. Oh, really? Oh, that was the first? Yeah, that seemed like, I think that was my first, too. I yeah. Think. I was six years old. My mom took me. And then uh, her first Star Wars was the original, and she was six years old. Oh, So, yeah, she took cool. me to see Phantom Menace. And there's a part in there where Anakin's talking to his mother, mm-hmm. and his mother says, you can't stop the change just like you can't stop the suns from setting. Mm-hmm. And then like that, that's, that sticks with me. And mm-hmm. that's why I try to tell people like, you know, like there's always going to be changes in your life. Mm-hmm. Like you got to walk this road and there are going to be changes at different, you know, intersections, mm-hmm. but you can't stop it. It's going to happen yeah. and you have to accept it and embrace it, you know, and you have to, and now there's always a way to fight. Like, you know, if something's got you down, it's meant to get you down, but you meant to try to pick yourself up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it teaches you, you know. And the cool thing to keep in mind is that, you know, nothing lasts forever. Good times and bad times, nothing lasts forever. So it's like that's that can have you feeling kind of optimistic in regards to just savoring whatever good moment that you have and whatever accomplishments you have and being grateful for what comes positive in your life. And also, like, you know, even if you're going through a hard time, keep in mind that it won't be like that way forever. It so won't. it's just like, you know, yeah. It won't. You just just got to keep pushing. Yeah. I always keep pushing. Never, never slack off. Like. That's that's what and I slacked off for years with music, you know, but, you know, pandemic came around. Life got tough for me. And then uh, that's when I picked the pen back up. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. When you have a passion for something, especially rap and hip hop, you're going to come back. And with your talent, bro, from like your your projects, like um, niggas still sleep um, to expect the unexpected, man. It's just like, you know, I don't really know what to expect from artists when I put songs on and everything. But then when I hear your song now, how heavy boom bop it was and everything, I expect everybody trying to sound like the same now mm-hmm. and everything. I've been, kind of been a little bit of a culprit because I've been using the trap bass, you know, just to kind of be able to like connect more with like the current audience because mm-hmm. like that is going to be the sound for this decade but then I want to do something where I can go back to boom bop and everything and be on top of that like this upcoming year when I get the chance and the funding to make like an EP or side project and everything like that you know just kind of test the waters for really really dropping a major major boom bop product because like you know boom bop is easy for me and everything that's why it's like I never really go to it. I always want to be challenged there. I always felt like trap was more of a challenge you know because it's like you got to be melodic and everything you got to kind of switch the flow 
shows up every time. Whereas like for Boom Bop, I really I write how like Boom Bop sounds. Yeah. So it's like it's always gonna go good with no matter what Boom, whatever what Jay Dilla or Madla or whatever. It just flows well with it. it just like peanut butter because that's all I was on growing yeah, up. So it's just yeah. like you know it's just it's like it's kind of a strength. I understand because you're more lyrically gifted, but it's kind of like a it's kind of a little liability in a sense because it's just like you know it doesn't really connect with the current unless you make it connect. You know what I'm saying? So and that's the thing, man. Like I think that this generation is is. You know, when I was in high school, it was Gucci, Waka. Fuck with Gucci, fuck yeah. with that era. Yeah, I mean that that era was was crazy, and then save every week. <laughs> like it was, it was fire. <laughs> but then, like, but then you gotta remember, like Wayne was dropping the drought. You know, Wayne. Every time Wayne dropped, I got hype. Another go, an, another one. Like, um, but a lot of the artists at that point were were spitters who were transitioning into this era kind of, and then that era eventually kind of took over. But, you know, I found what made me realize that, because because I, I, you know, I discovered Cole, I discovered Nas, who's my favorite rapper to this day. You usually kind of discover around the same time. I don't know what about it. Like, I think it, for me, it was Nas first. And then when J. Cole dropped 2014, Forest Hill, I knew that Born Center came out. But 2014, Forest Hill made me more interested in J. Cole. I would check out all his old mixtapes. I'm like, dude, this is like the soundtrack to my life right now. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why. Cole is, Cole is just so relatable. Yeah. And I mean, he's extremely relatable. I, um, I, the first time I realized like I was meant to be a boom bat rapper was whenever I touched this Pete Rock beat off of um off of Pete Strumentals. It was called A Little Soul. When I rapped over that, I was in eleventh grade and I put it out. And the next, I put it out like over the weekend. And when I got to school Monday, all my classmates were like, Yo, Hayden, like that's wow like wow bro like you really can rap like we knew you could rap all these years you've been putting music out you can rap but dude like you're on another level now i was valid now i was valid you know i was i was validated off of the strength of rapping over a pete rock instrumental Mm -hmm. but then then again like you know one thing about me is like i'm very choosy about what i rap on beat selection and all that stuff Mm -hmm. so Whenever I hear trap beats, like you could play me a hundred trap beats and I might really like five of them, okay. but you can play me a hundred boom bat beats and I'll probably like 60 of them. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's really like, it appeals to me. It, 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 it gives you inspiration. Like you're does. so inspired. Like I, well, I listen to trap beat, like, yeah, sure. I like it. Like that would sound good. Let me put a hook right there. But like something about boom bop, it just puts you in a whole different like state of mind where it's like, now you got to pick up the pen. Now you got to write and everything. Right. So it's for, that's what I love about boom bop. That's what it does to me. Like I remember I I was going through my issues early this year where I didn't have a license. I didn't have no driving post. I had to stay at home all the time. I was just listening to Boom Bop Beats and I was just like, right again. And I finished writing in my first rap book in like a while. Because I do it like from composition to composition, volume from volume. And it was a while. So it was like my seventh uh, composition book I've written in like forever. I finished um, just this year. And now I'm trying to move on to my eighth one, but I never have time like I used to. So it's just Yeah, I mean, I tell people like, I, I wrote a lot of, uh, niggas still sleep so I was a, a parts delivery driver in Wilmington um, for for Stevenson Hendrick Honda and I actually wrote most of uh, niggas still sleep at stoplights I would just ride and listen to beats and I would think of 
a good like a, a dope line and I'd put it in my phone real quick. No, and then when you're yeah. driving, that's how you gotta write it down. Like I think one line I, I came up with when I did for Ego Trip, like one of the that one of my mixtapes called Ego Trip. Mm-hmm. It's like um, my only mixtape, Ego Trip. Um, it's like this. I, I, for some reason, I don't know why. It's like I, I thought about this stupid rap. It's all about like I, yeah, I'm a young genius like Jimmy Neutron on top of my green like a crouton, like yeah, because I even got like a crouton <laughs> on top of lettuce and shit. That's like dope. That. That's dope. <laughs> it's just like, that's dope, man. I'd be like, damn, I need to write that up before I forget. I'd be forgetting so many rhymes that I'd be like, damn, what I was even thinking about. That, that's how, I mean, whenever you, you're coming up with lines, man, you got to just jot them when you can. Otherwise, they're gone forever. They're gone forever. <laughs> and I mean, and, and some of the stuff is just extremely creative. Um, like I've got a couple of things. I got so many lines. Like I'm trying to think of something good to give you before we before we go. Let's but, take your time. We ain't not under but, pressure. We got a good thirty minutes. Just like, cool, cool. So it's like whatever you want. It's up to you. Whenever you feel. Oh like no, nah, we're good. Okay. We're we're cooking. But, I'm enjoying but I want, this. But I want to swing back to like you know like when you said like you know you didn't feel like you were self between eighteen to twenty four after your uh, father's passing and everything. I know it's been kind of like we're going into boom bop. I just oh, want to yeah, go yeah, more yeah. deeper into that because we were talk- touching on that and we just kind of left on. Yeah, because no a lot, there's a lot of people out there who might have lost uh, family members. Or like their father, you know. Even this year, I lost my grandfather and stuff of that okay. nature. It's pretty sad, but it's like you lived a full life, so I was kind of happy to that degree. And I pretty much foreseen it and everything. Like even going through the motions, like I swear it was like deja vu every day from the day he passed away. The three times I saw his dead body before we buried it, and then it's just like when we were going to that cemetery looking for a place to bury him. Like yeah. it was just, it, it really was like it was so surreal. How like you know I felt like dang, like, I really saw this coming, like in a dream or something like that, and now I'm living it. So it was just like, it was just like, I just, I felt peace in the matter that it was probably meant to happen. But then also it's just like, he was also lived a full life. Yeah. But, you know, your father kind of passed on before his time. 43. 43 years. Old. So he still has some years, some decades on him and everything, yeah. see where it would take you and everything. You know, no one wants to bury their, their parent way too early and everything. Um, but it's just like, explain how that, you know, that, that period in your life, how you pretty much, uh, pretty much overcame that period of life. Yeah. You can summarize it as best as can. I mean, so, you know, I didn't realize it had impacted me as heavy as it did until about six months after he passed away. Um, I was just sitting, just sitting one day in the car, uh, talking to my girlfriend at the time and she, uh, she, she, I had like a little Afro and she touched my hair and she was like, Hey, your hair's falling out. So I went to the doctor doctor was like you know have you been through any trauma or like shock or something you know traumatic happened in your life recently and i said well my dad passed six months ago he said that explains it Mm -hmm. you know so i lost hair um i gained a lot of weight most people lose weight i started eating a lot Mm -hmm. you know just to to cope i guess never really felt like myself Mm -hmm. during that time period um i was really a happy joyous person who was cool to be around and then I turned into this kind of like dark shell of myself um, people still like to hang around me people still thought I was a good friend and everything but those who knew me the longest knew that I wasn't who I was so um, you know it, it really takes time like I, you know and everyone's different Some somebody somebody close to somebody could pass and then within two years they're, they're back on their grind and you know they, they can get up and say rest in peace every day and go go about their lives and not feel any different than before it happened but with me you know it was more or less like more grueling type of like a mourning process very yeah. kind of longevity yeah and I could relate to that and everything you know my condition everything. Like, you know you kind of feel like a zombie like you kind of shut down to like yeah you're very active to a certain degree but it always feels like there's a part of me just missing and it's been missing since like high school and everything and I'm like I'm literally get pushing 
closer to 30 now and I feel like I'm still out of sync even when I do graduate college or I do other things and it still feels like there's a part of me that's just gone you know no I totally understand I mean it's it's you know he he uh he was a good dude man he came he came to this country with with nothing oh really he was an immigrant yeah my dad was not from America no where's he from like Barbados Barbados yeah he was from Barbados like Barbados you know yeah because a lot of people from Barbados go to Liberia I'm Liberian so it's just like you know it's just a lot of y'all the way y'all talk kids kind of blend in with our 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 slang so it's like we kind of got a laid back accent kind of like how y'all accents yeah yeah my dad he was he was he was Bayesian I'm I'm first generation Bayesian American so he came here he met my mother had me um and and lived to see 43 mm-hmm. but he was a good dude man and um i think that's what hurt the worst mm-hmm. that it was just so unexpected yeah. and he was a good person yeah you know and a lot of people who who knew him when they speak to me and and they see me they say i see a spitting image of of him and you mm-hmm. you know like you you're just like your dad and my mom even said it like i went back home to visit and um i started locking my hair in july and when I walked through the door, she said, boy, I thought you was your dad walking in the house, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what really was was most upsetting to me, because t- in my mind, it made me think like, wow, if that could happen to him, then it could happen to me. Yeah. Or you anybody know? or anybody yeah. close. That's the thing that's scary about death. It's just like I didn't even expect my grandfather to pass this year. I didn't think this year was going to be that crazy. So I'd have to bury burying your loved ones is so crazy, bro, because like their memories, they pretty much stick with you in your head. Now you can't make any more memories of them going forward. That's the most heartbreaking thing about trying to, you know, more through the morning process. Like I, I still try to find time every Sunday or every two Sundays to visit my grandfather's grave. Like literally right after church, when you like message me and everything, I was go headed to my grandfather's grave, leave new flowers and everything, you know, just to talk for a minute, just give a little update on my life, what I'm worried about and everything. What's this week I'm worried about? What I'm you know it's just yeah just i feel like that's the only way i can like talk to him like i know he's with me but it's at the same time it's just like you know i used to spend so much time with my grandfather this year because it's just like you know he's the main connection like to back home and it's just like he one of the main connection him his brothers and all them older folks i'm getting older to the point where it's like i'm gonna start you know i'm gonna be like the the patriarch of the family because i'm the first grandchild so it's like you know like one day that time is gonna come so it's like i need to start investing in myself how to really learn the culture learn some certain traditions and everything and also like carry out their stories also i was trying to like do a family tree gladly i got to have him help me do it decide the family tree and everything i just Mm -hmm. feel like i should have worked on it some more though um but i got a considerable amount of people on my family tree and but it's just at the same time it's just like but now like i can't talk to him no more yeah and that's the that's the most heartbreaking thing about it that is heartbreaking and you know i'm i'm fortunate to still have my grandfather but he's not in the best health at the moment but you know i've never met a stronger man than him so you know i'm able to rest at night knowing you know knowing his strength and whatnot but uh you know, we got to cherish those folks in our life. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. we have to cherish them, man, because you only get one. You only get you only get one set of parents. You get a couple sets of grandparents and not everybody's always going to be around. So you have to cherish the ones who are, no, you know, seriously. absolutely. So but I commend you for um, for taking the time to acknowledge the importance, because a lot of us take our elders for granted. Yeah. You know, we take them for granted. So, I mean, but. 
their connection to a whole different time, man. We're in strange times now and everything. So it's like and a lot of your elders kind of keep reality grounded in a sense, you know, in a sense like, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff, you know, love is weird. Friendships is weird. <laughs> Everybody's weird. So it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, from them coming from a time where people were more authentic, you used to live more authentically, you know, and it's just like, you know, if you don't, if you want to have multiple baby mamas, okay. But it's like, you know, you didn't really have to try and you soup anybody, you know, yeah. you, you know, it was just a different time back then where it's like you can go out for a party and get into a fight and that'd be it. But now it's like things are so weird now where it's like people do the absolute most for nothing. I think and it's just of, weird, you know. You need guidance. I think one of the main problems with today's society is that there's just too much access. Too much access. And I mean like granted knowledge is power, but you know, you can be in a committed relationship with, with somebody and you know, there's there's Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, all these different platforms. And there's somebody else who has access to that part to your person, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be through a message or a video call or what. And then it's up to them to do what's right. But, you know, nowadays people love attention and, and the hypergamous nature of things now. Or it's like there's always something better. Always, no one wants exactly. to, nobody wants to settle and be happy and can tell what they got. So it's like it's just like they think they're going to get something better. And that's the other fucking with a psychopath. Man, you preaching to the choir, bro. You are preaching to the choir right now. But, you know, relationships are a crazy thing, whether it's whether it's a romantic one or if it's just a friendship or, you know, even work relationships are are, are weird people. But then again, like now we're in a we're in a world where um, everyone wants to be so focused on bringing all kinds of cultures together, which is nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand that when people are from different backgrounds and different cultures, they may speak different. They may like different things. They may enjoy different music. So if you take offense to the things that they enjoy, you know, then that's where problems arise, too, because mm-hmm. people don't always understand. You know, they, they, they don't. And we have to help each other understand one another instead of just wanting to point the finger and strike people down for whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but I mean, that's, that's the world we in. It's just a weird, it's a weird place, man. Yeah. Everything is so unbalanced to a certain degree. So you just don't know. That's what's the wonderful thing about hip hop that I feel like, you know, every time I was in like a place of adversity, I feel like I can always go back there. But even though it was kind of tough to get back on that horse more consistently and the one I'm on, I'm on and everything. And it helps me like reinvest into myself. You know, I really got that urge to get back into the studio as soon as I can. That's why I'm stocking up on so many different types of beats. I got probably so many beats that could probably last me for like a decade at this point. That's how much it's really kind of a problem now. <laughs> because it's just like I can't manage all them beats all at once but it's like you know it's like it's always like refreshing to know it's like I always got a lot on that end it's just okay I got a whole lot of beats I'm investing in myself so it's like next time I get into the studios I ain't gotta look for beats or nothing it's just it's already on the flashcard I already had the stuff picked up for the next projects and everything so it'd just be a matter of just me writing the songs out getting it done and then getting the funding to go while also trying to find uh, funding for my whole uh, next uh, treatment and everything getting that shit out the way so I can really focus and entirely on music you know it's just like i thought i was gonna drop a lot of songs this year but i still i gotta put that stuff off until next year so it's just it's just that way you ever had setbacks and everything with music and everything yeah i've had setbacks with music i mean um i'm sitting on a project right now that i gotta get finished up and it's basically been it's been under construction since 2020 you know, oh, so this project is is called um, the Gun of the Grave. Oh. So I'm sitting on that right now. Um, I'm also working on another project with a with a local Charlotte producer. I'm gonna keep it on the hush though. Okay. Who he is? Um, we uh, we linked up 
he gave me quite a bit of beats and um he's dope he, he he's incredible i mean and, and mainly just has a, a, a true love for hip-hop i mean there are some people who do it because they want to get rich or famous but then there's us who do it because we love it yeah and it's healing it's like it's like it really helps heal us and everything it's, it's very therapeutic and really helps us carry through a lot of our hardest times so it's like i kind of just see hip-hop as just something that kind of saved my life and i just want to give it back as the universe gave it to me to help direct and guide my life and you know so it's just like it's just giving back to give balance that's just kind of how i feel like life is unbalanced if i don't give back to hip-hop that's just kind of how i see it no, i feel you and that's what motivates me i feel the same way i mean because you know, as time grew, as time passed and I grew, I started learning that, um, you know, not everybody can do what I do. Not everybody has the gift of gab like I do. And, you know, I've been in a couple of different studio sessions and just hanging out with friends where I'll just start rhyming and they're like, bro, you know, why, why, why does no, why are you not famous yet? And I'm like, man, because, you know, the right person hasn't heard me yet. But, you know, I'm really big on uh, them Griselda boys. And, yeah. yeah, I know. That's yeah. the one thing I want to ask you about Griselda, because yeah. I know from, you must be a Griselda fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Griselda fan, man. Like, and what I really like about all them guys, I actually had the opportunity to meet all three of them one time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I flew to Dallas back in 2019. It was Benny the Butcher's The Plugs I Met tour. Oh. And, um, you know, I was, yeah, I was in Dallas. And, uh, I got to meet him. I met him before the show. And I remember he complimented me on my J's because I had these fresh, my fresh Concords. I never hardly wore them. And then I walked in there and uh, he was like, yo, son, them J's is shiny, boy. You don't never break them out. I said, I only bring them out for special occasions. And he asked me where I was from. I told him North Carolina. He said, oh, so you live in Dallas now? I said, nah, I flew here just for this concert. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, man. He said, like, well, I got to, you know, I'm going to let you know, man. I got West Side and Conway here tonight, too. So that night, um, you know, I met Benny. I got to dap up Conway and meet him. And I met West Side Gun. Like, they were just all right there. And what I really like about those three is the fact that these dudes are in their mid-30s, 40s, with West Side and Conway. They're both 40. And still doing it. Still doing it. And, and, and didn't really get recognition until they were in their mid-30s. Yeah. And um, it gave me a push because at one point I thought, man, like, you know. Maybe you're getting too old, man. Maybe I'm getting too old, man. I'm in my mid-20s and, and most Damn. most people pop. Most people pop early, you know. 18, early 18, 20s. early so 20s. So. I have their best mixtapes out and everything. It, you have a lot of good music out and everything, but. Yeah, that's trying what. Trying to get it out there. Though, trying so. to get it out there. So, like, that also, you know, 2019, that was in September. And then we move into like February, March, the pandemic starts happening. And I was working in the airline industry. I lost my job in May. So when I lost my job in May, I said, OK, I need to go ahead and wrap up this degree. So I wrapped my degree up, finished recording, expect the unexpected and started recording NSS. Okay. And then I put both of those out. And then I started writing The Gun of the Grave right before I put out NSS. And then so I wrote that for the majority of 2021. Mm -hmm. And here we are in 2022. And I still got some more touches to make on it. But That's like, whatever time you want to take, take it. Because the way I've been putting these projects out, they're damn good anyway. So it's like I'm thinking maybe you got to put a whole lot of time into it and stuff of that nature, man. Like I know I know you've been thinking about like putting your music more out there and stuff of that nature, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually making moves to do that now because uh, I feel like my social media presence on Instagram hasn't been strong enough right. and I feel like you know I need to get videos out I need to maybe do some merch yeah, um, merch can't take you a lot but 
I got another thing. Playlists can also do another thing also. Like it's like I mentioned it with a lot of artists. This is people that you can follow on Instagram called Crowd Freak. Mm-hmm. And what they can do is if you use their distribution service called Distro Freak, like Distro Kid and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and when they can put all your music on all platforms and everything, they can help put your songs not only on doing that, but they can also put your songs on different playlists. And they can also hook you up with a flight and a hotel to perform at their festivals and everything. And they're just starting out kind of. They got 50K followers deep and everything. You, you should probably check out and see, like, you know, just how they make They're mostly stationed in, in Detroit, but they can pretty much fly people out from wherever. That's dope. And everything. they be having stuff like 420 Fest, which is like, you know, Pothead Fest. They also right. got uh, Backwoods and Bonfires, which is kind of the same thing. They got Scary Hours for Halloween Fest and everything. So you can pretty much get more chances, opportunities to not only just fly out, but also, like, you know, get a feel for different crowds and everything. That's dope, man. You know, that's how I try to I put like it. That. I try to put it all artists on before I really go into it, you know, the next year because I don't want to be like the first, I just like the only one that's on it and it'd be like, oh yeah, I could have told y'all and everything. Just yeah. wait till I, like, if I got it, if I know about something, I try to put all the artists on. And that's the beauty you know, of it. Yeah. You're supposed to, we got to support one another. Yeah, man, no, for real. And it's just like, you know, if we were all on this stuff together, it's like, okay, like Toasty put me on, like that's me, that's Toasty. And it's just like, you know, like, oh, you got these familiar faces and it could probably help us transition to the mainstream a lot easier keeping around familiar faces from like when we were humble, you know? I know you were out there, you uh, performed at Charlotte Spark, right? I did not perform at you didn't Charlotte get Spark. To, but you heard about it, though. I did hear about it. I actually met the dude who was putting it together. Trey Rose? Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed him. Yeah, I met him at, uh, so my cousin is like the, uh, the, the head or the president of the Black Lawyers Association. Okay. So we had like a little, uh, I won't say a little, we had a get together, but we were honoring the black judges here in Charlotte and I met him there. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, yeah I met Trey off a uh off a group me group chat 24 and plus and everything okay and then i just had if anybody wanted to do a podcast episode and he, i hopped on with him and he still he puts out events a lot of the time i think he had a little baby event eventually but i couldn't make it i mean because i'm either working or busy bro but dude's a pretty cool guy man it's like i be wanting to hang out with people and chill but it's like as an adult it's like it's always something you gotta do so you, you just keep up with people on the internet and that's the best way you, can do. you you know it that that's the thing man that's the unfortunately you know as, as life progresses, responsibilities also increase. You know what I mean? So, but, you know, when you're passionate, you got to make time for what you love. No, seriously. You got to make time for what you love. So I'm, I'm back... I'm back cooking. I'm back making music. I'm mm-hmm. back. I'm back rapping. I think in July, yeah. I was on the binge and I did 18 songs in a week. Okay, that's cool. You know, just recording, just trying to get back to that to that mode to where I know I sound a certain way or I sound good. And okay. you know, I mean, I'm definitely not falling off. I'm always improving. Okay, definitely, so. definitely consider tapping in with Crowd Freak. I'm gonna send you all their information to you with Disho Freak too. And then maybe you can see like maybe if you want to see opportunities of like performing at concerts and everything to kind of get more exposure and everything because it's like I, seriously I've been seeing all types of people from all types of background kind of get help from a crowd freak and it's still pretty small so before it becomes so untouchable it's better off to just tap in right tap now tap in now I'm with it like I, I even reach out to them and sometimes like I'm going to work with y'all and I'm going to drop music to y'all when I ever get a chance like hey man we're free whenever you're ready to do so do so like they'll respond back to you so it's like they can actually so it's like real like organic type stuff or whatever I'm with that I'm with that so it's like, definitely with that I mean because a lot of us have a voice and we're just not being heard. Yeah, and it's just like on the same token, it's like you don't want to have to like beg in a lot of these larger corporations and everything. At least like build a fan base for yourself more organically. It's really the fan base that's going to carry you. Yeah, the fan base carry the that the fan base always carries the artists. Yeah, that's what people have to understand. You know, Nas just dropped his 
his third King's album. Disease three. Yeah, dude. Uh, you think he's gonna get a Grammy again for it? Yo, he might. Bro, Nas getting a Grammy, bro, for this late in his career is so inspirational. Bro. And that, and that for him to be my favorite MC, that also gives me the feel of I'm not too old. Yeah, you know, man. I'm not too old, You're so too old. I can still I could I could keep doing this and pop at 33. Yeah, no, seriously. But, and Nas started mad young. He was like 19, 19 I think when he dropped Illmatic. When he dropped Illmatic, yeah, man. You know, we uh we we care about Illmatic. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? Seriously. So, I mean, it, it, it's hip hop in itself is life, you know, yeah. and, and there are people who just, you know, when I listen to music, it, some people listen to music and, oh, that's a good song. But when I listen to music, it actually touches my soul, puts me in a certain mode. Yeah. And certain songs do different things to my emotions, man, because I'm so in tune with music. Yeah, man. So. It's like, I, Nas is such a good, like, you know, uh, uh, subject matter to study in general from his albums and everything to his presentation and just his wordplay and just yeah, his flow and everything of that nature really like he really sounds like an intellectual and everything from things that just like he really revolves what it means to be an intellectual without having it be like self-indulgent and that's the one thing I really like about like Nas and everything like, he can be able to tell a story he can be able to break down certain messages without mm-hmm. it being like for, like pressure so hard and everything like from It Was Written one of my favorite uh, albums and everything Illmatic Stillmatic, it was written was my personal favorite. Everything I added the Nas genre and everything, and uh, and it's just like it's just I can't wait to even listen to them again. And every, now I'm getting hyped to listen to them again, <laughs> and like because I gotta put them on in the background somehow because I mean, it's been a, it's been a while since so I listened to my uncle in a while, man. Nas, my uncle. <laughs> it's like yeah, man. No seriously. Nah, he's 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 incredible, man. Illmatic to me personally is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because that's that's where it all started, but it was written as a close second. Close second, but my favorite Nas song is Nas is like, oh yeah, and I mean off of I am because, I mean, I feel like DJ Premier and Nas, and the samples they were using, the samples that DJ DJ Premier chopped up for that song and Nas's delivery. Yeah, seriously. I mean, like it was a loop that just felt felt like it was just heavenly. Heavenly. Just keep going. Just keep going. You know that sample actually is 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 from a. Um, somebody reading about the birth of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's, that's where that sample comes from. And then, like, he had the birds chirping. He had the Bismarck, he going Nas on it. I mean, the, the whole song itself, I feel like that is one of the most beautifully crafted hip-hop songs in history. Yes, definitely you know? something to study for real if you want to just really make a song where you can just jump onto and just... Uh, just the way how y'all talk, it's like, how did it start again? It's like... It's like in my jail, clips inserted, a baby's being born, same time my man is murdered, the beginning and end. Oh my God! <laughs> Fucking... Oh, dude, yeah, that is man. so hard, to, bro. To start a song that way, I mean, like, yo... It, it blows my mind. Every time I hear Nas, it's like it blows my I mind. I'm thinking it's impossible to start off lyrically, but it's just like, dude really just came with it so smooth, but so like, you know, combustion, combustive. Yeah. I think that's the time I'm trying to like I, explosive. I think Nas is the, is a, is a, one thing I want to tell people too, is I want to say like, you know, I'm all about getting your education, but you can always educate yourself. Yeah, no, you know what I mean? And Nas is, is Nas didn't, I think Nas finished the ninth grade and never went back. Yeah, he was and a street educator. Street educator. Like he, he learned from the streets. He studied books after he left school. Like, Which is the best way to educate. He, he's a true intellectual. And, and, and his, his writing shows that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you listen to Thun, um, Thun on King's Disease 3, son. Like when I tell you Nas and his raw element is, 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 
it don't get no better to me. I just feel like the King's Disease uh, trilogy is something that's going to go down in hip hop like history for like. Oh, it's going to go in the archives. It's going to go in the archives. Like ever since I heard the first King's King's Disease. King was kind of random to me, but it, it just, just came, like, came out of nowhere. But it was it deserved that Grammy. It was like, man, man, like when I heard him, um, there's a song on there called "The Cure," and the first half of that song, the first like minute and twenty seconds of it's mad slow, but it's Nas rapping his ass off, and then the beat changes, and then that's when I started respecting Hit Boy even more. When that beat change came in, and Nas said "Cuban Link, Cuban Chain." Um, belonging to MoMA or something like that and I was like yo like he just he kept hitting you with lines like stick going deeper like I grew another inch on my dick I was like what yeah. like nah like, he's incredible man like he he's his his wordplay is incredible man I, I just him, him and then a, a close second to me which is a real, relatively unknown rapper to those who are not really deep into hip hop is Elza. Elzai, okay. Yeah, Elzai is incredible too. So if anybody ever gets a chance to listen to Elzai, check check out anything by Elzai. I think the firm needs to get together and drop an album again. Like I know, like the firm with Foxy Brown, Nas, and AZ, and who was the fourth? Core Mega. Core Mega. Yeah. Core Mega. They need to drop an album. Like again, this is just just a legacy album. Just the way how Nas been getting. They need to make like a. They need to make a King's Court disease or something. I don't know. Yeah, something like that'd be dope, man. To hear Foxy back on the mic. Yes. You know, a- AZ still does this thing. I think he dropped an album either this year or last year. I need to check that and for uh, sure. Yeah. I put myself on the AZ in college, which is late, but it's like, it's all right. Man, the first time I heard LZ, I mean, LZ, AZ, I was on the way back from Myrtle Beach. Um, and we were listening to Sirius, Sirius XM Radio. And then I heard um, Rather Unique mm. off of Do or Die. And um, that wasn't the first time I heard AZ, but that was the first time I heard anything from his album. Mm-hmm. First time I heard him was on Illmatic. Yeah, no, yeah, it was on. It was on Illmatic. Yeah, yeah, he was on Illmatic. I think about oh, him. I think I think more about him on it was written. I think I think I feel wasn't he more on it? It was written. Oh, uh, I think he had. Or was it I Am? I think. <sighs> watch them niggas. It'd be close to you. Yeah. No, that was just Foxy Brown on it. I can't remember what he is on. I feel like he was just on affirmative action. Yeah, affirmative action. Yeah, that yeah. Was a, yeah, he was on affirmative action, which and Nas wrote Foxy's verse for that song. Hey, Foxy delivered. Look, look, Nas wrote. Um, what's the name of that song? Uh, Getting jiggy with it for Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard something about yeah. that. Nas wrote that. Like, not come on. If you listen to the first bit of Will Smith rapping on Getting Jiggy with it, you can hear elements of Nas. You can hear elements of Nas. And it's, it, I mean, it's, it's dope. It's, it, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, some people don't like him. Um, a lot of people don't understand him. What's Will Smith? Oh, Nas. Oh, Nas. I yeah. mean, I like him. I, I always fuck with Nas and everything. You know, Will Smith, I mean, I could take it or leave his That's rap. summertime. That's summertime. Uh, timeless. Yeah, summertime, timeless music. That's what Will Smith I'm is. waiting for this summer just because I'm thinking about that. <laughs> summer, summer, summertime. Yo, every, man, look, you, you can't go wrong that with it. That song is such a 90s vibe, bro. Like, I swear, bro, this is like that whole era, man. It's just, especially Big L and everything. I know oh, Big L man. is definitely like Cool G rap and everything. Cool G, yeah. Big L. Oh, my gosh. Big man. pun. Pun. Pun was a beast. Beast lyricist. Beast. Well, you know what really gets me in the mood? Like, what really like just gives me energy to want to ride DMX. Like the whole Woodstock performance DMX, and everything. DMX. I put that on my playlist for when I work out and everything. Just like yeah, some extra energy, yeah, bro. Man, DMX is is also just a dope 
I mean, just a dope lyricist. I've really been like on Tribe a lot lately. Yeah, Tribe's good. And um, you ever gotten the Dela Soul? I feel like I need to get in more. Dela's dope. Dela's dope. Their music is just hard to listen to because yeah. of the publishing stuff that went on. Uh, yeah. But I, I've. I haven't really listened to a lot of Dayla, but earlier on when their music was more accessible mm-hmm. through other outlets and stuff, I'm talking like 2010, 11, I got into Dayla mm-hmm. and I started kind of, you know, experimenting. But also what led me to listen to more stuff like Dayla and like brand new being and stuff was when I first met Knife Wonder at 17 and talked to him for a little bit. And he just was like, yo, man, you should you should listen to this. And I was talking to his uh, one of his homeboys. He was like, yeah, man, check this stuff out here. Like, this is this is the essence. I like how you just nonchalantly just put like, yeah, I met Ninth Wonder once. <laughs> oh, man. Like, yeah, I met Ninth Wonder once. He so told like, me this. <laughs> didn't even explain the content, how that happened. But. Oh, man. No, nah, like, so I met Ninth when I was 17. He came to Wilmington to do a show, him and Rhapsody. And I, I remember I was at Gravity Records and I walked up to him to hand on my CD and he was like, yo, you got a case or anything you can put this in? Because I was like freaking out. Like I, I didn't have no sleeves at the house, no cases. So the, the dude that owns Gravity, Matt, gave me a case. I handed Knife the CD. Mm-hmm. Apparently they listened to it on the way to the uh, the uh, venue mm-hmm. and Rhapsody was like, yo, he said, you know, Knife likes what you do, man. You know, you're dope. And I was like, cool, cool. So then... That already getting signed off by so many artists. Already getting brushed off by so many artists from West Side World to a freaking uh, Rhapsody and Ninth Wonder. That's a good. At least you're on the good path. Didn't mean to cut you I mean, I mean, when I was 15, uh, a lot of people don't know who this is, but Maserati Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of uh, 50 Cent's homeboys mm-hmm. up in New York. He had a, a record label called Dumb Out Records. Maserati Fox wanted to sign me at 15, mm-hmm. but you know, my mom was just basically like, you know, Hayden, you got to go to school. You got to focus. Like, you can't be signing a record deal at this time. You think you can tap in with him now? Well, unfortunately, Maserati Fox passed away oh, in 2000. Dang. I feel like it was 2014. Oh, man. That sucks, man. Yeah. That sucks. It was a, a shooting in New York. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one of this. It was Jam Master Jay was one of the 50 Cent's homies that got killed, too, man. Jam Master yeah. Jay got, got shot in New York as well. He did. Yeah. Man, man that's, that sucks, man. I mean, that's, right, that's your Phillies. I mean, it, it's... I've brushed shoulders with a lot of people in the music industry. You know, Crisis. That's good. Um, Ninth, Rhapsody I've met. Um, some of the people that work with them, West Side Gun, Conway. You know, I, I know a dude that was filming videos for Benny and, and, and 38 Special and Flea Lord and, you know, um, all these different people. And um, filming videos for Estenac out, out in Boston. Like, you know, I've brushed shoulders with people, but I know – the time is going to come where I brush shoulders with the right person. Oh, yeah, surely, for sure. But instead of waiting for, like, brushing shoulders with the right person, just wait until I just keep trying to build a fan base. Oh, for sure. Your music is already dope. That's the cool thing about it. It's already dope, and it's only going to get doper. So it's like, for me, I'm working in, like, I'm trying to be as more refined as an artist over time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's just like, that's just the, maybe I can send you my mix, like, you can be able to critique it on your own. Cause I like to hear, like, yeah, what other yeah, people's opinions are. I'll definitely text it to you. But it's just like, it's just one of those things where I still need to work on, like, breathing and everything. Like, I feel like I'd be trying to push in a whole lot of verse into one song. And so it's like, it's, just, it's one of those things I need to work on. But you already sound like you, like, would already, like, you need a star on the uh, freaking Hall of Fame of. Oh, of, bro, I appreciate it. Thank you. Like, it's, like, it's already like it's already coming up. That's what I'm saying. Man, this is this is this is what 14, 14 years, fifteen years of ramen. I mean, that's good. Yeah. That's experience. I mean, it, Some people just blow up out of nowhere because they're popular and then they fall off. Nah, like yeah, you're right. But 
this is Rick Ross didn't see money into this shit until he was thirty himself. So that's just something to keep true. in mind. I remember when Ross dropped Port of Miami. Yep, Port of Miami. It was uh, gosh, what was that? Oh, six. six, yeah, oh six. Because I feel like a year later is when Kanye West was getting ready to drop Graduation, and Fifty Cent was going to drop Curtis, and they dropped on the same day. Yeah, and I could only pick one album to get. Yeah. So I got Kanye's, uh-huh. but that was before, like, that still was before I really was falling in love with hip hop. Oh, yeah. You know, like I was in love with hip hop. I was in love with music, mm-hmm. but I wasn't in love with lyricism. Oh, yeah. And then lyricism became like a key component yeah. for me. But yo, like I, I have my very first song. I couldn't breathe at all. Hardly. I was breathing all over the place. Now it just gets to a point where you just you you write to your breaths mm-hmm. and you write to the beat and you just know how to ride. You know how to ride mm-hmm. the beat, you know. And um, I also I'm notorious for rhyming over the four like Nas does, um, you know. So my bars will carry over into the next bar. But uh, that's just I, I do it unconsciously now. But I guess I listen to so much Nas that I've created my own style. But there are elements that you'll see of him and me. Yeah, that's how it'd be like for a lot of your influences. Like I know one song on my mixtape called Grave Shift. You ever heard Flatbush Zombies? I'm one of a heavy uh, Flatbush Zombie train when I was in high school and everything. But I, so like one of the songs I would listen to a lot is This Is It. I didn't even realize that that, that whole sound kind of bled into that whole song Grave Shift. And I didn't even realize until somebody else said it. And I'm like, oh my God, that does kind of sound similar and everything. And then when I put my mixtape, I was like, some people be like, oh yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit like J. Cole a little bit here. And I was like, I don't even see it. But some people say and I'm like, I don't know, man. It's it's a weird thing, man. Like, it's so weird. And I mean, there are other artists that, are, that you know, like Elza's a heavy influence. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of other people, man. I just listen to so many people. Yeah. Willie the Kid. Oh, Willie the Kid is incredible. I know Logic's one of my influences now. Logic? Which is, I know it's like, it's like kind of like whatever, but it's like Logic and J.I.D. because they know how to like, you know, pretty much uh, rap over hype beats and everything, and then also rap over like influence. Logic on his like a rap on boom bop and influential beat. I'm going to say this about Logic. I like Logic as an MC. I do. And when I listened to Under Pressure for the first time, I remember it had dropped in October one year and I remember it was in October because I was at I was in Raleigh at the State Fair mm-hmm. and it dropped and I remember just listening to it on my phone while me, my mom and my sister were getting ready to go to the fair. And I remember thinking like, this is actually incredible. Yeah. This is really good stuff. He's a good artist. And I mean he is a good artist and I'm so glad that he's that he's still doing it. Another one who I enjoy is Freddie Gibbs. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Freddie yeah. Gibbs for the longest time. But I didn't know how to bring up, you know, bring up West Side Gun. I know he has beef for West Side Gun. Dude, Freddie Gibbs is that dude, I've bro. been on Gibbs since 2009, bro. That's that's good, man. I feel I've been on Gibbs since high school when it was like, you know, I think what really got me on Gibbs, I think a song he did with Joey Badass. And I'm like, I think, what was it called? Uh, the Knicks remix and everything. Yo, yeah. so Knicks is actually my favorite Freddie Gibbs song. Yeah! Oh, yo! What, 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 the remix with uh, Action Bronson and Joey Badass? The remix is dope, but I enjoy the original so on, much. On the, on the Mad Love tape. Yeah, man. Pippin' on the assist. Like, I, like uh, what did he say? Double nickel on the Knicks. That was 95. Couple of us in lit in 96. Game banking. Kane slang and had us caught up in the twist. We was middle school fools. Come on, man. Like, I think on the remix, what did he say on the remix? It was like, oh, it was like, it was like chilling with the bitch. Uh, ice bucket challenge on my wrist. <laughs> Being black in the U.S. is a challenge to exist. I'm like, yeah. Yo. Gibbs is like, 
Yo, and his like last that. album? Yeah, what was his album? It was uh, uh, uh Soul Soul Separate. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I've been yeah. I've been holding back on listening to that tape for a while. Cause I don't know what about me. I like to listen to tapes when I'm driving. Yeah. And it's like a 22 minute drive from like my house to my drive at uh, Houndersville. So I'm be thinking like maybe I can save it for that and like you know my downtime and everything. It's yeah. just, bro, it's just I can't wait, bro. That and, and I need to listen to Vinyl Days with uh Logic. That's I've been holding off. I on checked that for a out while. Vinyl. I, I checked out part of it. I haven't finished Vinyl Days yet. All right. I feel like um, he's really trying to, cap- well, he's trying to capture the essence of hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, working on the MPC 2000 XL, chopping from vinyl. I mean, like he's trying to capture the essence, and uh, I appreciate Logic for his love for the craft. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's he's a lyrical genius. Like he's he's a, he's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. He can rap his ass off. And I mean, he can write and rap to almost any beat. Yeah. I mean, yes. people don't give him the respect I think he deserves. Um, yeah. But I, I think, feel like because of his like how he he stakes on like mental health and everything, like how that whole situation with Joe Biden said he was the worst rapper ever, and then he said like publicly saying that that comment made him wanted to kill himself. You know, it's like I fuck with logic, but it's just like, like yeah, you're gonna let Joe Budden like press you yeah. to that degree where you publicly say that. Yeah. I'm gonna pump it up. <laughs> Let me stop. I like Budden, man. Yeah, like, yeah, I like Joe Budden too, but it's like, you know, he I feel like he criticizes some people unfairly, so to the point where it's just like you don't even hold it, you know, that yeah, it you consider that there's some merit to it, but then you don't really get pressed up about it. Nah, you know? It's just like if, if DJ Academics was to say I was ass, I would laugh. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's just like everybody has their own opinion. It's not yeah. something to feel any type of way about it. That's the one thing about being a rapper is that there's always gonna be a hater out there. Dude, I'm gonna tell you right now, I've been told by so many people I'm garbage. Yeah, yeah. I remember you know. on my mixtape and I tried to bring more views on my SoundCloud because that was the main one I was getting it out there because it was easy to just drop the link and people can just tap in compared to like, yeah, download Spotify. Or, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It just gave more space. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I remember one dude drop a comment and was like, oh, this is straight dog shit. And then one comment would be like, oh, dude, like, why? This is some crazy. This is this is underrated as shit. You're underrated art. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You just got to take, you got to take it half and half like that. Like, you're going to get mm-hmm. shitty comments. You're going to get good comments. Not everybody enjoys to play the oxtail and rice and peas and cabbage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Awesome. But I'm going to tell you that shit is awesome. It's delectable. I mean, and that's the same with music. Like, you could, you could, like, to this day, I think Shook Ones by Mob Deep is one of the greatest hip hop songs ever made. Yeah, no, seriously. I think the sample is crazy, and I think Prodigy and Havoc fucking killed it. No, really? But I could play Shook Ones for somebody today who's never heard it, and they'll either say, oh, it's awesome, or what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, or they, or they reminisce over you by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Yeah. So, true. and everyone's opinionated. Everybody's opinion. That's the greatest thing about hip hop is that it's just, it has a life of its own. So many different faces, so many different trends, so many different flavors and everything with the songs and the mixing. Maybe some rock here, some country here, some whatever. There's always something to be sampled. It's like this sense of there's a sense of a universal uh, expansion to it. Like it's infi- infinite. It just goes on forever. It's true. And, and it's, everybody just kind of has their own little patch in the quilt of it. And that's what I, that's what I really love about hip hop and everything. But you know, we've been reaching uh, pretty close to like the hour. We pretty much uh, jump over the hour for a while ago. Okay. And then we got to end this episode. I'd like for you to show up at season three. And I'd like for you to check out uh, um, the whole crowd freak situation I, I'm going to send to you on IG and everything. I really do appreciate you for hopping on the Mental Threads podcast, but we're about to come to a close very soon. Do you have any uh, words you got to let the audience know before we go off? Oh, I just want to say I appreciate you for having me. And, um, you know, everybody listening, just, you know, check me out on IG. That's LST, the number one N E. 
um, check me out on IG and uh, there's a link there you can follow tap in you know um, I'm on Apple and Spotify more to come uh, the gun of the grave is still in the in the works basically 90% complete and another couple projects on the way behind that yeah, when it drops, dude, let me know, bro, because you already got a fan right here, bro. Like, I messed with that song, bro. I'm in that car bumping like, ain't no way this dude <laughs> right here. But it's cool, man. That's just the wonderful thing about hip-hop. You always bring something new. That's what I love about doing this podcast. I get somebody on and everything. We can just talk about hip-hop, all sorts of things. This is one of the more finer episodes, so I appreciate you for hopping on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Episode 130 and everything of the Mental Threats podcast. We're sewing in, and now we're sewing out.